Welcome to Circle Around. On this podcast, we hope to see, analyze, reflect, and respond better to our context by asking meaningful questions that lead to better questions. Our conversation is aimed at helping believers make sense of their world and then reimagine a new way of responding faithfully with full presence to the challenges of our urban society. We are your hosts, Lisanda and Mahlanzi Mashur. What we love to do on this podcast is to discuss some of the challenging issues that are happening in our society and also try to see how we can ask incredible questions that help us to be better at responding to our world. And um, I mean, for me, the most uh, beautiful thing is always looking at the incarnation. And uh, the reason why the incarnation keeps being such a powerful um, picture for me is because we know that God doesn't leave us on our own in you know, in the things that the world is experiencing, in our own personal challenges. But God did not just sit afar and distance himself, but he came in the form of his son, Jesus Christ. The story where um, he goes to Samaria, right, in John chapter 4, speaks volumes to me because um, the writer makes a point of, um, of saying that he, did, he went through Samaria, meaning that um, there are those exist those pre-existing racial and ethnic tensions that um, could have made him go around it to avoid it. He just decided to just go in there anyway and be present. Um, and the reason I love uh, the story of the Samaritan woman is because it shows us right there that this is what the incarnation is about. It's about God sending his own son um, to come and enter into the mess of our world and not avoid the mess of our world, but to experience it with us and uh, us in turn being invited to meet God, right? And uh, and that's why the incarnation is such an important thing to us. That's where we see um, the goodness of God uh, break through right, right in the middle of all of our human brokenness. And so Matlatsi, um, I'd love to know from you, where have you seen um, the, the brokenness of um, the pain of a broken of a broken world, rather? Yeah, so this, this week I've been tracing certain conversations uh, that I'm interested in and li- watching them on, on social media mm. and really being bothered about how we are discussing just about anything, yeah. you know. I think before there was this wisdom that said avoid politics and certain topics because you know they quickly degenerate into you know toxic <laughs> levels. Uh, but it seems like just about anything these days, as a conversation, leads a lot of us to to talk us to to talk past each other rather yeah. than to to really have good conversations where we try to understand one another. So being on the different social media platforms and tracing those conversations and seeing that whether it's about music mm. uh, or politics or a judicial process or you know uh, the murder of someone, that the way these conversations happen, um, we are, we're not setting ourselves up to to really find one another, even when we have common cause, and that really grieves grieves me, grieved me in this in this past week. Um, yeah, and, and I can imagine that um, also people will probably behave on social media in a way that they probably wouldn't wouldn't in real person, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, and uh, where have you seen um, the goodness of God break through, or uh, just see that brokenness being restored? So you know this, um, but it's 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 really 
spoken volumes to me in this past week as well, mm. where Amani has this thing where almost every single night yeah. she comes into our room and she comes on my side yeah. of the bed and she wakes me up, taps me on the shoulder or just taps me and just says, Papa, I love you, gives me a kiss and then goes back to sleep, yeah. right? Every single Every night. Every single night. Right. <laughs> and, and, and I mean, it's, it's, I love it. I mean, on its own terms. I love that we have our thing with her and it speaks about our relationship and it's, you know, but it also has been speaking into my heart because in the same way that I've been tracing how our conversations, you know, can be so ugly sometimes, mm. it gives me this sense of there is a there is another way there is a better way yeah. to engage people there is a better way to spend ourselves in conversation yeah. and i mean it's a little thing and of course it's framed within our conversation however it gives me hope that if we frame ourselves differently perhaps and we're interested in uh, really connecting with other people there are ways in which we can we can have better conversations to be yeah. honest and i think that's why i love the story about amani because that's that's the that's a beautiful thing for me to witness you know where she expects that if she comes in the middle of the night to show you affection she's not going to be uh, rejected or to be you know told to go off or whatever she expects that her love will be received and also that that's where you just get love just from jay you know and i think that's the power of um, home and belonging and relationship, all telling you that you belong here, right? So, um, in some of this, with some of the snippets that we've been sharing from our previous episodes, we put one of them on. Um, I think in the last, like I think a week or two ago, and we we're talking about where people belong and if they could tell their story. Then Matepo shared a, quite an incredible comment about how relationships can form context. So I'm going to read it quickly. She says, um, I'm really enjoying it. Thanks. I just have a quick question. Thinking of this from a, a slightly different perspective, I'm just wondering what you think about non-physical space. So instead of a physical spatial location, what about the existential state of belonging, for example, between people and location? As I was listening, I was thinking about how I'm more likely to be attached to a community instead of a house or a town. Is place exclusively a location or can we discuss it as a feeling or a state of belonging? And I really like that because um, I realized actually it's relationships that also give us a sense of belonging isn't it and and I think that's what she's trying to touch on that um, we can't always be tethered to places to say this is this is my this is my permanent homestead and this is where I belong but uh, as we are moving around uh, and places change what are the things that are constant and it's most likely relationships so yeah yeah that's really important that even though we stress that the physicality mm. of, of space where people actually are found Yes. Is important. Yeah. Where they actually live is important in the whole conversation. Yeah. And 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 it remember that it, we're speaking about that those spaces really encoding the stories. Story. Yeah. And and that's really important. Yeah. However, that's not the only way to think about yeah. uh, belonging and identity and so forth and home. Mm. And that there are also more ways to frame space actually and the way we understand space and all of these come together of course yeah. to speak they're not exclusive uh, of each other but they actually come together 
as we speak about the the individual and as we speak about communities if the individual yeah. are, are is a product of their own uh, stories and then the community is uh, a group of individuals who share common stories yeah. then we can think about space and we can think about uh, belonging and identity as being complex in yes. that sense as well Absolutely, and that ties into um, a book that was written by our friend uh, Kupano Mabasomato. She wrote a book called Coconut, and uh, for for us growing up, the the concept of a coconut referring to a person was talking about a person who's black um, or a person of color on the outside, but they're white on the inside, and it was normally given to people that would um, or young children. Let's say I was from a township and then I was educated in a town close to the township where we lived in King Williamstown. And I went to a school that had been formerly all white. Right. And I think all of the schools opened around the 90s. And um, and so I went to one of those schools. And so to gain access to that school and to excel in that school, there are some things I had to assimilate to. I had to speak English. There was a way in which I could do my hair that was non-threatening. There was a way in which I had to talk and relate that would um, espouse all of the cultural value of belonging in that school. And so that, that work of assimilation was something that I had to do to not only show that I, I'm excelling in that space, but also that I belong in that space. And now um, I had to obviously you know, code switch <laughs> when I went back into yeah. the township to make sure that I tucked that part of my identity away because they, the, the, being like I was in my white school, it was also loaded in terms of how it was in the township. And so I knew that I had to tuck that away, right? Um, it meant something to be back home and now, oh, now you're this now, you're a coconut. And I think that was also to say that you're, you're a different person, right? And um, that code switching is an exercise many um, black children and children of color have to do as we move between these two spaces. You're either not white enough, you're either not black enough. And I think many South African children can relate to that. I definitely can relate. I mean, I was um, sent to go and study, you know, in Nelspreet. Yeah. Uh, moving from, and I'll expose my age here now, from standard three to standard five. (laughs) Um, And it was, and now spread in particular, Valencia was this town, uh, this neighborhood that uh, was was predominantly Indian. Yeah. And so, but it was an English medium school. Yeah. And yeah, I experienced exactly those things where you you land and you end up, you have to switch and now everything is in English and yeah. so you have, the, you have to learn everything in uh, in English where back in school you know someone would translate even when we did Afrikaans and we learn English we learned them gasapel, yeah right and and uh, translate them but now it was different uh, and so you had to learn a new culture yeah but as you became fluent in that culture you realize that it will alienate you if you took it back to where you're from. Yeah, away from, yeah. right? So you try as best as you can to tuck it away because then you won't belong, Yeah. right? Uh, so on this side, you're working very hard to belong, Yeah. you know, learning a new, 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 way, of new way of being. Uh, but then at the same time, uh, which means you have to tuck away your- Your, your, your township. Your, your, yeah, yeah, for me, from a, from a rural area, you have to tuck that away when you're in this space and vice versa. So you have to leave that at the entry point yeah. and, and become something else in that, in that space. Otherwise you'll feel alienated, but yeah. people won't be able to relate to you. 
Absolutely. In that sense, yeah. I remember how um, I was learning a year before I went to KHS, I went to do extra English lessons by Aunt Christina. Um, and I was going to Enozizu at that time, right? I was in Standard 2 going to Enozizu at that time. And then I remember Aunt Christina was, was very militant. She was, my, she was an Indian auntie and uh, she was teaching us how to say bird properly. <laughs> Bird, bad, bad. Bird, bad, bad. Right. And I remember yeah. how I literally, because yeah. I was still going to Enozizwe, yeah. right? I remember feeling like, listen, you are not gonna get to Enozizwe and be like, that's a bird. Yeah. I, I literally would pretend to not know how to enunciate yeah. the words. Um, yeah. because I also didn't want to make myself seem better than the other kids. And there was already something about proximity to this culture that is um, like to a white culture that already assumed bitterness, right? Yeah. That you, you're being sophisticated, you're being cultured when you civilized. speak. You're being civilized when you speak a certain way. Um, so much so that I had to tuck it away by having to change my accent to sound more African when I spoke in Rosuzo because I didn't want to alienate my schoolmates, right? And um, what we're basically just reflecting on is actually reminding me that places really are not innocuous, that they do something to us as well. Absolutely. Right? We, we enter them, we experience them, um, but that is not just a neutral thing, that mm. those places actually do something to us. So that's also how I got two names. Yeah. Where in my new school, my new English school, my teachers looked at my name when I introduced myself, Mahlazi, mm. but that was too difficult to pronounce. Remember that also in that environment, we were told not to speak our languages, language. but the way that our languages were framed, other than English, was uh, gibberish. The one, we, don't want, we don't allow that nonsense here, mm. right? We, we only speak English, and so, even articulating your name, yeah. right, in, that was not an English name, was already going to be a problem, let alone the fact that when somebody couldn't pronounce it as a teacher, they'd say, well, uh, your name is too difficult to pronounce. And either they would give you a new name or they would just look, and many of us, like myself, we actually, that was my middle name. Winston is my middle name. Then there's a, you'll be known as Winston now. But then I became known as Winston at school. But whenever I went home, I was Mashaz. Mm. So I had these two uh, names that represented the cultures, yeah. I guess, that I was immersed in. Yeah. And right up to my adult life, that's how uh, powerful the concept of what space can do to you and what it actually can speak into in terms of your lived reality. It was yeah. only very late in my adult life where I then began to have the courage to introduce yeah. myself again yeah. by my preferred name, Mashaz. Yeah. And I mean, when I think about, about how um, a lot of these things, they happen in a way that won't immediately feel antagonistic. Some of these things they, you see way later on that, wait a minute, there's something here that is a type of a violence, right? So if you have to shed certain aspects of yourself to become more acceptable, 
um, not only would you expect that of other people eventually, because it becomes a norm, right? That self-erasure in order to be palatable and to fit in and to be acceptable because of what this space requires becomes a new norm that we create for other people. Um, I mean, do you remember any time um, where you had, where you felt this has to, this has to end, this is, this is who I am? And, um, you know, any like initial jolt of responding against that, that type of, um, of cultural self-erasure in order to fit into what a space demands of you? Well, I guess I can imagine that a lot of people have to adapt even in a single day yeah. to the demands of different spaces that they, are, they, they engage with during the day. Yeah. So I think about you know, the conversation on GBV and, you know, what it means when we talk about women in the workplace yeah. and how certain spaces there are set up to exclude other people or to advantage men, for instance, yeah. and how women have to perform uh, exceptionally just to be, be average, be average yeah. or to, 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 be, to be compared with the average performance of of men in the same role, for instance, um, or how you almost have to tuck away certain aspects of yourself, I've heard, um, in order for you to, to thrive or to be seen as somebody who's uh, contributing, who's not a liability in, in a, like in a workplace. Yeah. But, but I can imagine that many different people, as they go throughout their day, uh, engaging with different spaces, engaging with different communities, that there are these expectations, uh, that all, all of them speaking about the sense of, if you act this way, you belong. Hmm. If you don't uh, conform to these expectations, then, you, then you're out, you're an other in this particular place. Yeah. And so, yeah, and, and for me, uh, it came to a point, going back to my name, where I, I just got tired. And I got tired because, you know, one, it's, it's every time I say that, that, that name, this is my name, even though I'd said it so many years, and even though I justified by saying, well, it's, in my, it's my middle name, I could never get rid of the sense of dissatisfaction. Mm. That, but I didn't call my name that. And, uh, and it, took, it, it even took someone to challenge me then to say, but then why don't you do something about it? Mm. Because I, I felt... I felt disempowered to, to actually act to change it, but I was living with the sense of dissatisfaction. Uh, but there was a real moment in a place where somebody had come and asked me to introduce them to Mashazi because they'd heard that a Winston also knows uh, Mashazi could introduce wow. them to that. And uh, rather than taking the moment to introduce <laughs> them to Mashazi, in that moment, I realized that it was a moment for me maybe to introduce myself, mm. you know, to Mashazi as well. But but I can still remember, you know, where we where we were when that took place. Yeah, and wow, that's 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 really phenomenal because I realized that um, in a in a country like ours, I mean, we have we have a very very um, tragic past, right? And the reason why. I think it's important to have these conversations is because um, when I think about um, the Hebrew faith, you know, uh, that that Christianity is rooted in, 
I think about the importance of memory and remembering the things that have happened so that we don't go back, right? Often it feels like when you go back to these stories, I, I, I sense that there's a fear about going back that would cripple us um, and, 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 and perhaps make some of us, I know for myself, because I don't like confrontation naturally, yeah. um, I know that I, I try to avoid things that are going to cause me to think about hard things. Um, but there's something though that I feel our faith gives us a very special capacity to do, which is to do the work of remembering what has happened so that we don't continue to perpetuate the things that would make God a willing participant in, um, in the erasure of people, especially in the name of our Christian selves, of our Christian um, practice, of our Christian faith, right? And, um, and, and so when I think about um, that, the work that we need to keep doing as people who follow Jesus, in going back to some of these stories and seeing the legacy that they come from and um, the legacy that they can continue to perpetuate, I feel that um, it's so important to keep having these conversations and constantly try to answer the question, how can we be neighbor better, right? And uh, going back again to that story of Jesus walking into um, uh, walking in uh, through through Samaria and meeting that woman at the well, right? right. Here's a woman who could have actually gone to um, get water with the other women at that time, but she didn't, right? She didn't because there was obviously um, some kind of disrepute to her that would cause her to not be allowed to go to take water with the women at that time. And I wonder if something about her experience took her voice from her and took her, um, her believability, took her agency and all of that um, with a, you know, like a reputation or whatever. And I think the way that that story has always been taught, the way that I was taught that story, she was, there was always a loaded reputation around that Samaritan woman, but Jesus went to meet her there. Like I said, in, the, in her place of not belonging, in a place um, of not being enough and good enough to, to go there with them. But she goes there alone and he meets her there as a rabbi, as a Jewish male rabbi. And that was not supposed to happen. And there's something so liberating for me when I think of how um, part of experiencing freedom in Jesus also means that we can expect that every part of who we are really, really matters to him. So in how we ask the question, how can I become a better neighbor? I'm sure we actually need to get better at making room for those painful stories and how we need to intentionally um, affirm things that bring out who God is and the beauty of God in other people and also undermine and resist the things that erase the image of God on another. I don't know um, if there's some of those things that um, speak into this story of um, assimilation and self-erasure for you. Uh, Simon the Pharisee has invited Jesus to his home. And usually that'd be a good thing, except that I think when we understand and we read the story, we see that he doesn't have good intentions for Jesus. Uh, we know this because when Jesus enters uh, the door, he's not uh, given the courtesies uh, that usually would be afforded to somebody who's uh, an honored guest, all right? Uh, the oil the kissing of the hand or the cheek, the water for the feet, and also a towel as well. Uh, this is something that you would do very standard when you've invited someone to your home. But Simon fails to extend those courtesies to Jesus. The point is to humiliate him. The point is to embarrass him in, in public uh, and to put him in his place. Jesus, you're famous out there. 
amongst the normal people as a teacher of the law. Yeah. Uh, but in here, uh, we're going to put you in a place. Amongst those yeah. who are really experts, we're going to put you in, in your place. And so, but Jesus, when he walks into the door and he experiences this, he reprocesses this from anger to, to grace and he walks in. Uh, he reclines at the, at, the, at the table. Now we are told about another person. Now in this whole crowd, there's another person that the focus of the story goes to, which is this woman. We are told that she is a sinner. We're told that uh, her, her sins are known in the city. We are told that uh, her sins are many. And uh, a lot of commentaries immediately jump at this point to say that she was a prostitute or a sex worker. But actually, that's not explicit in the text. And there are a number of scenarios that actually could be true uh, about her profession, for instance, if she was a midwife and she had regular contact with Gentiles, for instance, that could also uh, fit. But uh, it just goes to say that sometimes we, we, we've got to interrogate the lenses through which we read people yeah. as well in, in different places. Yeah. But this woman, seeing the humiliation that Jesus experiences, her heart is, is broken. She's there also with her own agenda. And she's there to actually give gratitude. Jesus then uh, points the story back at her uh, when, when, and then gives us a window into why she's in that place. But being the person that she is and having the reputation that she has, she is judged by a lot of people in that space. She's judged by Simon, uh, the Pharisee, the host. Uh, and uh, she then feels very free to uh, use her tears to wash Jesus's feet. Mm. Remember, they're walking in the dusty streets, you know, maybe a little piece, yeah. pieces of dung comes in the cracks of their feet. And so this was something that was very normal, but she uses her tears to wash uh, Jesus's feet. And because she's got no towel, remember, that's not why she was there for. She uses her own hair. And then she uses this perfume, very expensive perfume, uh, to, to anoint uh, Jesus. And a lot of people seeing her do this, they, they're taken aback. They're judging her. She, 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 not, not, not only is she not meant to really be there, she's, she's acting in a way that for somebody who's not meant to be there, this is too much. This she's is extra. This is extra. extra. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. know your place. Like just being here should be enough. But yeah. you, you're exerting yourself. You're, yeah. you're showing up. You're doing more. And you're showing off, you know, the host, right? Making up for his failures yeah. in, in, this, in, in this particular context. But then Jesus does something. In noticing Simon the Pharisee's judgment of this woman and the judgment of Jesus, right? In other words, because Simon fails to see this woman and her story and sees, who for she, who sees her for who she is, he then fails to see Jesus. And sure. I think it's a warning yeah. that sometimes our, our, our relationship with God, with Jesus, can be directly affected yeah. for the worse yeah. by our failure to see people. Sure. Jesus seeing this in the story turns to the woman while looking at her, says to Simon, Simon, do you see this woman? Simon, do you see this woman? And then tells a story. Well, this woman uh, uh, was actually, we had an encounter outside of this meeting where she actually received her forgiveness. So she's not here to be forgiven. In fact, she is here to express her gratitude. She's here because of what God has done 
to really gush out her, her, her gratitude, the right response to grace. She's here to express herself, to be free. And your failure to see that has made you not only for, uh, not see your failure uh, in your duty towards me as a, as a host, but also to see uh, this woman that you haven't seen yeah. her in, in a sense. She has, she has more than you uh, because she, sure. she knows that she's been forgiven. And you, on the other hand, sit there thinking you've, you don't have much to be forgiven. That's why you like your gratitude. But it is in this idea of seeing people where we, 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 we get this ethical imperative okay. that says, look, if we are going to be better neighbors, Neighbor. right? If we are going to qualify ourselves as neighbors, it's important that we see people, we interrogate our eyes that we see with so that we are seeing better all the time. Yeah. Because in there, we may even be able to shed the things that make us judge people, uh, make us not see people's stories, the, the thing that makes us exclude people, the thing that makes us think uh, or not see that what people are becoming or who people are as a direct expression yeah. of their encounter with God, yeah. of the image of God being expressed through them, yeah. then we'll, see, we'll fail to see that yeah. and we'll actually become a hindrance to God's image expressed in our communities. Yeah, absolutely. Especially, especially when we think about how um, our experience of God is never going to be divorced from how, I mean, that's what you're saying, right? Our experience of God and our ability to be changed and, and challenged by God is not going to be div divorced from how we treat and our, how we see other people. And, that our, and that's how our humanity is actually locked up in other people. Absolutely. Right. Jesus says, if you're about to sacrifice, you know, to God, make a sacrifice to God. And then you remember that you, you and your brother, your sister, uh, you've got, you, you've got something between you. Leave the sacrifice there and then go, go fix and fix that. Find the person and go and fix that. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, for me initially reading that, I was, I was like, but it almost seems like what you're saying is, yeah, fixing this is more important right? The thing with my brother is more important than making a sacrifice to God. Surely make a sacrifice first and then yeah. go. But actually, I think that it shows this dualism that I'm, I'm, I'm maybe uh, thinking this through, that I'm separating them. Yeah. And maybe for Jesus, as I, I keep on reading him, it's not separate. He's saying, actually, if you're here to sacrifice and you're looking to connect with God and you realize that the disconnect here, yeah. so that yeah. maybe when you go and fix the thing with your brother there, you'll find the connect with God also. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So those two are not necessarily separate things. Yo, so I think a, a good question to leave, um, th that we could leave this conversation, we could depart from this conversation with yeah. is, um, how, how do we become good at, um, how do we become good at, uh, at making sure that we make room for one another um, especially with the stories that already exist that say, here you have to curate yourself, here you have to manage yourself, right? There's something about that woman where, uh, like, there was nothing, nothing was neat here, right? It was scandalous to get there and do this, you know, before a, a rabbi, you know, there was, it, but 
he didn't curate her because he knows he knows he knows her story right and if anything that abandonment would have made them feel uncomfortable but it's exactly because of what you're saying because they're seeing all of the deficiencies in themselves and and and, and whatever else and maybe making it about themselves but um i i constantly think that these the that that should help us ask the question how do we become better um at seeing the things that make other people need to make themselves need so they can fit into our stories how do we become generous how do the places that we occupy become spaces of hospitality where people can come as they are because Jesus came to the woman at the well just as she was. Um she didn't have to tuck away the parts of her story. In fact, he leads into those questions where she feels like she must fully just, you know, you know, or, or at least he sees into her life and she and you know, they had this back and forth exchange because he sees her as she is and it, and he also makes room for this woman to be who she fully is and how do we become like Jesus like that you know where people can fully be themselves um i think that's an incredible question uh, for us to to stop this conversation with and matlatsa always love um you know having these conversations with you say so you love it too i love it too great and uh, <laughs> I, yeah and <laughs> <laughs> that's not cold that's, no, that's from that's deep down in my heart yeah <laughs> Thank you so much for sitting and coming full circle with us. Our conversation on growth as people of faith is ongoing, and so we'd love to keep journeying with you. Our circle around family, seeing how we can keep our cycle of faith, action, and reflection continuing. So follow our Instagram accounts and join us next week as we continue circling around.